welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Oh, wow. Um, thank you, Daniel. And I've got to, I've got to thank Nancy um, from Ohio for uh, inviting me to, to join you today. And I'm, I'm getting a little overwhelmed here. Um, I... Uh, I haven't done that. Uh, this is like I've done Zoom meetings, but I haven't done the international Zoom meetings, except you know at at, at, at conferences, convention. And this is really, really amazing. Um, you know, I, I I keep telling sponsees it's a really good idea to do step zero and really get into this uh, fellowship because I'm unbelievably grateful for all the people who have. Uh, Drag me kicking and screaming into service and and into this fellowship. Um, but it's amazing what God has given us, um, people from all around the world, and um, they're all really sick, <laughs> just like me. Um, and that's something that I, I was I, I never thought I would find anybody in the world who was just like me. Um, my earliest recollection of lusting um, was uh, I was with the kids in the neighborhood. I had to be about seven years old, maybe seven or eight. I don't know. And there were woods across the street behind the houses over there. And then uh, we would walk through there and hang out there and play there. And then there was this gully and somebody had the bright idea to go down into the gully and take their clothes off. And I watched, that's all I needed to do was watch. And something in my mind, in my brain, in my soul, I guess, but something was definitely affected and changed. And I'm a bit of a pest anyway. So I was like, you know, bugging all the kids to play that game again. And I remember my mother said something to me about I, that was not a good idea, but I, I didn't like the other games. I never really got into sports. I never got into all the guys' games and the girls went off and played dolls or whatever they did, house, whatever they did. And I was just different from that moment on. And I had no idea what was going on with me. But as a, as a, a kid, I had a, a close friend in elementary school. I slept over with him and we did things together on the sleepover that you really are not supposed to do. It's normal. It's natural, you know, kind of stuff. But I'll never forget it, and I don't think he'll ever, ever forget it either. Um, and uh, for me, it got worse because I started uh, masturbating every night, and I just couldn't stop. And uh, my mother, dear, my, my both my parents died in 93, but um, she would just wash my pajamas and fold them and put them back in the drawer. They got kind of gunky, actually, but they, she just never said a word. I grew up in a family where there was never honesty and 
things were just not said. Everything needed to look good. We did our best to do that. And um, the reality for me, as I came to understand, as I got into the program, as I got into my recovery, was that um, I uh, was going through their home. They both died in 93. My brother was there and his first wife was with us. And it was my honor to go through their bedroom. And in a drawer in the dresser, I saw a Polaroid picture of my father. It was not a picture I ever wanted to see. And I tore it up and put it in the garbage there. And I never told anybody about it. And then I did tell my brother and I did tell my sister-in-law, who was like an expert on being homosexual. She had homosexual friends, et cetera. And she said, oh, that's what they did, you know, before the internet, Polaroid pictures. And I told my sponsor and he said, well, this is a family disease. And I guess maybe you came by your disease rightfully. But my father never said a word to, to his dying day. Uh, I couldn't continue to work with him. I actually got another hit. They, they bought a store in the neighborhood and I worked there. Um, but he was at the counter and he was busy. My mother was in the back. We had a substation post office. She was busy. And I just tried to keep the place clean and I tried to, you know, straighten the stock. Maybe that's why I have a, a medical diagnosis of OCD today. I, I don't know exactly how I got that. But all I know is that I was always looking for his attention. I really wanted to, uh, to, to connect with him more. He had worked nights uh, before he got the store. And um, he just didn't want me around that much. And my mother helped me get a, get a retail job somewhere else when I would turn 16 and I could do it. Um, so whatever he did. God bless him. And it was his business and it's none of my business, but I'm a sexaholic. Um, I'm also a same sex luster. Um, I knew that all through college, but I met a fabulous person, freshman orientation week. And within a month, we, well, first, you know, we were at a dance and we both realized, at least I realized that we couldn't dance. I didn't think she danced very well. And I, I knew I couldn't. So we went to the student union and we had sodas together and we talked for a couple of hours. And in like two weeks, I remember I was at a, taking her home and we both lived on campus and under this tree near Merrill Lake, I um, told her I loved her. We were having sex with her about a month or maybe a little bit more. And then, um, you know, just stuff up at school. And then at my house, we had sex. But the first time I couldn't do it. And um, we got to the door and I almost got honest with her. And she said, Rich, let's try it again. And we did. And I did. And we got married. Uh, I mean, she had the diamond junior year. Everything looked, looked, looked good. We had the wedding. I was, I was psychotic before the wedding. I couldn't work in the store. Um, but I made it through the wedding. The pictures looked good. I was smiling. We went for two-week vacation on our honeymoon, and we never had sex. And it was just, I, I, I started to traumatize her really early on. Um, I went through a year of college. Both of us came here to the Philadelphia area. I went to college for a master's degree in educational psychology, and I was directed by a counselor to a psychiatrist after a year of getting C's. He said that was not a good idea to go through college, you know, grad school getting C's. And so somehow uh, the two of us made it through over 30 years of marriage. Um, the two of us have a beautiful daughter. 
And, um, but um, this disease has taken its toll on me and my family. I don't make sense to very many people. Um, see, it's difficult for people to understand that somebody can have same-sex lust triggers and be okay with a marriage to a woman. I mean, how can that ever make sense? On March 4th of 06, uh, there's a lot of stuff that happened in between. I got to say that too. Um, a lot of, I'm a low-bottom sexaholic. Um, I went to Indecent Exposure when we were first married. And um, I was arrested for that. Um, I don't know if I have enough time, but I'm going to go into the story a little bit because this is how much I hurt her. Um, her father died, 1986. I drove the family to Connecticut, where we were both from. After the funeral, they stayed there, and I came home by myself. And I even wanted to pick up hitchhikers. It was pretty bad. And I uh, went back to some of the places I had been driving around before. Only when I got to my apartment, I turned around and I went into my parking space. But I noticed that there was a squad car over in the corner, and the, that that police vehicle pulled up behind me. Um, thank God there was enough money in my savings account and in handcuffs, they took me to a bank branch where I took money out and I was free. The only problem was I went to work the next day for that matter, because that's what I went home to do. But then I went back to Connecticut and I had to tell her on the way home what I had done. Um, she didn't talk to me for a while, uh, but my daughter at that time was three years old and I guess she decided to stay because we started to talk and to put our lives together but she just didn't say anything um she could never talk about it but um uh I was arrested one more time because after the arrest I met somebody in the court mandated group therapy Nice guy, a bunch of, a bunch of sex, sexaholics come together. What are we going to talk about afterwards? Um, so I got into uh, anonymous sex with men. And, uh, and then I was arrested for that again. So in the 20 questions, everybody reads them and everybody says, you know, I did that and I could have gotten arrested. Well, I got arrested twice. So maybe I'm a double winner. I don't know what that means exactly. But maybe I am a double winner too. But that's besides, that's another share. So the thing is... Um, yeah, I uh, I just know I couldn't stop. You're 10 I know minutes, that, 10 thank minutes you. Thank you. None of that stuff helped. But what um, what did help was March 4th of 06. My daughter was home. She had finished college. She went to my computer, even though she had her home laptop. And my computer was in the loft because I worked from home. And um, I got a phone call from my wife. Two of them were out. My wife said, you did it again. Well, I had been dreading and waiting for those words to be said for many, many years at that point. I wanted to stop. I mean, I was either going to be in jail, which I didn't want to be, or I was not going to be around. And instead, God used my higher power, who I call God, used um, my daughter to save my life. And that night I had the thought that I could not put those two lies that I had been living 
together in one life. And I don't know how my father did it. That was his situation. But my situation is that I had that thought that night. I mean, we went to bed together. I rolled right. She rolled left. That was nothing new. But we had no idea how to. But then her therapist called me the next morning. He said, I've got four things for you. Number one, learn about sex addiction. Number two, stop everything. Number three, go to a meeting. And number four, get a sponsor. And that was on a Sunday. And through the grace of God, there was a beginner's meeting at Graduate Hospital at six o'clock on Monday. And I was there. That was another S fellowship. But thank God for that room. And thank God for that fellowship. Um, I wasn't making real good sense of their literature. And I went to one of their meetings and it was just my temporary sponsor. I asked somebody to be a temporary sponsor, right? That first week too. And then it was him. And then there was this little guy with us, like half my age. And he's spouting off how he's sober and how he's been sponsoring people. And he got my attention. And then, of course, he also pissed off my my temporary sponsor and he left right away. We just talked for hours. And I told him stuff I had done when I was a kid that I never told anybody in my life. And I asked him to be my sponsor. And he said, yeah, but I do this essay program. So I did both for a little bit. And then I did essay for the rest of my life so far. And here's what I've learned in essay. Triggers are triggers and lust is lust. Now, it took me a long time to figure that out. Uh, years, I don't know. But all I know is, I number one, I kept coming back. I kept going to meetings, 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 meetings. And some of you here know me, so you know. I'm not lying about that. <laughs> I did. Um, and I was there. And I showed up. And uh, in our white book, it talks about lust. Makes it so simple. You know, we're all powerless over lust. And there's there's a way to study what that is and learn what that is and how deep it is and spiritual it is and how powerful it is and how it's sex thinking. But there was this guy that came to our meetings and all he said was lust was between your ears. He never shared a lot, but he said that over and over again. Boy, I'd get angry at him because I had no idea what the heck this old coot was talking about. He was making his coffee in the meetings and bothering me or whatever, but he was saying it over and over again. Lust is between your ears. And I finally got it. Lust is a thought. It's a lust thought. For me, it's a lust thought that takes me out of reality. I can't be lusting and be in reality. I can't be with another person because I'm lusting. And I did that all my life. I would walk down the street and have erections. and I didn't know why. I hated it. Hated it. But I remember early on, this guy, my, my first sponsor, I was driving around because I was an outside salesman and I was staying sober. And I mean, in my car, that was pretty toxic, but I was either on listening to SA or, 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 or AA tapes or I was on the phone with somebody and I made it. And then I started to get an erection and I was like, oh man, I'm doing everything. Why? Why? So I got on the phone. I called. I said, Brian, Brian, what is going on? I was a little angry. And he said, well, where are you? And I told him. And he said, well, what do you, what do you see? And I was really, really angry then. That was a silly question. And I said, what do you mean? What do I see? I didn't see anything. Okay. I didn't see anything, Brian. And, he said, and, then, I, and then it kind of came. I said, well, there is this guy. And he was walking on the sidewalk. And it was springtime. And he had a muscle shirt on. 
And then Brian said, that's it. And that really, really got me angry. That's what? And I came at that moment to understand that I was triggered by the guy's bicep. I am so sensitive. I am sensitive to everything that we're supposed to look at in our four step. Well, our first step and the AA uh, and, and then the four step rest of it. Lust or se- well, lust. Sex is nice to look at, but lust is more important. I think. But um, and then resentments. And fear, any unmet expectation, the slightest. And now I've got this awareness that I couldn't believe I could ever have. An awareness and acceptance of who I am and how God made me and being able to take different actions based on those three A's. I love them because I needed the awareness and then work on the acceptance. That's the hard part, but it's doable. And I know that if something happens that I didn't want to happen, it's an unmet expectation. That slight unmet expectation is going to take me to lusting. Page 66 and 67 of the AA Big Book. It's so clear there. Resentment kills addicts. We cannot have resentment and hold on to it. But of course, it was my second sponsor who taught me about step six and step seven. And every time he put me back on step six, I thought I was going to shoot that man. Back to step six again and again and again. And he taught me so much. I'm so grateful for all the sponsors that have been in my life. I've had a few, but I've never not had a sponsor. And um, yeah, uh, triggers are triggers and lust is lust. I know my triggers and I don't care what anybody else's triggers are. I've sponsored enough people. I've been to enough meetings. I've heard other people and the triggers that they have. God bless them. I asked Brian early on. I said, why do I have my triggers? And he gave me the only answer that has ever made sense to me all these years. God gave them to you. Period. So that's it. I've got my triggers. Other people have their triggers. But what keeps us all together in unity and in love is the fact that we're all powerless over lust. As good old Jess L. says in his, his, his tapes, and as I've heard from others, the first thought is on God. Yeah, I'm a sexaholic. I understand that. I'm going to have the first thought, but that's got to get down to seconds. And the second thought I cannot have. And this progressive victory over lust, I've been working on and working on and working on. And I can tell you that from my own experience, recovery in SA is the most beautiful thing in the entire world. My triggers are not as powerful as they used to be. When I look, when I leave my, I work from home and I, I'm a workaholic, but, and that's a whole nother story. But the thing is, when I leave, I'm tired in mid afternoon, late afternoon, I go out and I start looking. If I'm looking at the wrong parts of the guys, you know, people walking down the sidewalk, I know I'm tired, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And I can't look like that. And it was good old Brian. He told me so many things. What do I do when my, 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 my neck is like on a, on a rubber band and I'm looking at every single person, every single car, especially, you know, indecent exposure. So that was, I was really into that. But point is this, he said, look at the license plate in front of you. There's tools. There's simple tools on how to live life as a sexaholic. I mean, I'm single now. I lost my marriage. I've been, um, I've been homeless for two years. That's a whole nother story. But it's because, you know, people in are, it's hard for people to understand me 
if I would say that I was living with somebody and then, you know, some guy and I finally, you know, they would say, oh, he's finally getting well. He's finally getting honest with himself. And now they would accept me. But I can't go to my family the way I am because the best boundary I can have for, for, for my family members is I leave them alone unless and only my daughter communicates with me. My ex, unfortunately, her boundary is that I can't know where she lives. I can imagine it's difficult for my daughter, but it's been years and she does, she deals with it. We've got two grandchildren together, but one is five, one is two, and I don't know what the future will bring. See, I have to accept that she's on a path. Each one of them is on a path and I'm on a path. And if I can grow spiritually, so can they. God works miracles. In my life, God has worked enough miracles that I believe in miracles. Five minutes? Or, okay, five minutes. Thanks, Daniel. So, you know, uh, what's it like now? Um, well, uh, I don't have financial stability right now. Uh, but somehow there have been enough angels in the world. And there's also been enough miracles in my life that I've never not been able to get through whatever it was. Um, the people who came uh, and the people who had trucks and the people who got me out of my apartment when I was evicted at the same time that I was going through the final part of the divorce, the divorce took four and a half years. It wasn't saving money. <laughs> I thought it might be. I saved money on the lawyer, but I was representing myself by that time. I'd already spent all my money I could on it. But it didn't make any, you know, Here's the thing. Uh, well, I'm going to finish up with a reading, so I'll get to that in a second. But um, I found that there's no guarantee that life is going to be perfect because life comes at you the way life comes at you. I can't change all that. But I know that between my ears, I can be surrendered and I can be okay with life at this moment. I'm sober. And I've got some things going on, website and stuff or whatever, and things are going to turn around and I'll make money because money is not all of it. It's nice though, you know, but I, I even have other programs for other challenges in my life because I found it's all in the steps though. It's all in the steps as long as I, you know, my sponsor said that in the future, there's only two things. One is fear. From the moment we're born, we don't know where the food's coming from. We don't know where the warmth and all that stuff is coming from. And we hold on to that fear till the day we die. But there are two choices. One is fear. And the other one is faith. So I just have to absolutely work my third step and my 11th step and trust that God knows better than I do. I've had things come my way. It's like, oh, my God, how did that just happen to come my way? So, you know, I've seen big miracles. I'm still sober. Little miracles, they happen all the time. And as long as I'm looking for those miracles and I just do the next right thing. So I check with my sponsor before I do stuff. And quite honestly, I do have a therapist. He makes money by listening to me by 45 minutes. You guys are not getting paid and it's only 25 minutes. I don't know about that. I mean, this is a whole, you can listen. But the thing I'll talk for, but, and it, but it, it just, 
there are times because he's a, you know, he's a trained psychologist and he's got his PhD and he knows the literature and he knows about psychology. I ask him questions about family dynamics. Why not? I find if I just do nothing first, do nothing. And I pray about it. And I go to people I trust. And right now I've got like two sponsors in my life and I've got so many other people that I trust and I can pick up the phone and talk to. And I just continue doing that. Do nothing, pray, talk to people I trust. And the right solution just kind of comes at me. And I do the best I possibly can. I pray and then, and then I just take the action. And that's the hardest thing to do, really. It's like thinking about this, this talk. I mean, I was taught all you do is say a prayer, ask God for the right words, and just start talking. My God, I had a sponsor. If somebody took out notes, he'd walk out of the room. <laughs> and he taught me a lot of stuff. I mean, the people who've come ahead of me and who share their experience, strength, and hope with me have just been unbelievable. And I will close with this. In the AA Big Book, it simply says, some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop, and I'll say lusting, so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. And through these steps in my life and through the SA program and the fellowship and service, by the way, one last real big plug for service, there is absolutely nothing like it. And we need each and every one in SA to do as much service as they possibly can. It doesn't, you know, there's lots of reasons why people cannot do service, but find the one reason that you can and give back and you're going to get more. I mean, I would never have met Nancy if it wasn't for service. I would never have. Well, I would have met Buddy. <laughs> One way or the other, I was going to meet Buddy. I don't know. I just, there's Buddy. But I do know Buddy because of the service that we do together and we have done together. We've, we've called on a, a, on a local um, uh, prison. Uh, buddy and I went because he'd, he'd done this service before and I was involved with the CFC. Uh, at, at what time? One time, and 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 it's just amazing how you can carry the message. But it's like every message; it'll only go to the people who are ready to hear it. And uh, after getting everybody a white book and going in making a presentation at the prison, we were not allowed to bring our meeting in because you know it's our sobriety definition. You know, it's a little bit difficult to comprehend. But if anybody ever has a problem and is confused about our sobriety definition, You've got my number, and I'll tell them that triggers are triggers, and lust is lust. And I'm eternally grateful that I can surrender lust today and share with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. I'll put in a huge plug for service. It's been a long time since we first met. And I was asking Rich in the time to arrange for him to talk here about different folks we've known. And... Uh, that aren't around anymore. We are so fortunate. We're so fortunate to be here. And even when I give service, I'm selfish. I want to do it because I stay sober. Being a sponsor is amazing. I want to ask you, Rich, um, you started out talking, you know, I talked with my sponsors about step zero. 
Can you uh, talk a little bit about how you do step zero with your sponsees? Um, it's a good question, Nancy. Um, I uh, had a sponsor early on who took me through the steps and he used a like a, a sponsor sponsee form, like a, just a document thing, actually. And um, so typically, as someone else suggests, that I wait 30 days for them to be sober. So they're on step zero for 30 days. And um, I actually give them some handouts with some suggested reading and, um, you know, getting started in the beginning of the white book and then getting started reading the, 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 the big book. Oh, I sponsor with the white book, the big book, and the 12 and 12, because that's the way I was sponsored. Um, you know, other people can sponsor using, of course, there's other estate literature, but that's what I do. So, um, and uh, as long as they hang around that long, which some don't, <laughs> uh, I'm suggesting that they go to as many meetings as they can. And they do have, they, they need to call me every day. Um, and then um, I'll offer that, like, we just sit down together face-to-face, -to -face, and we can do that at least now face-to-face. -face. And it's um, just some basic questions about, you know, what do they expect from me? I'm always going to be honest, okay? I call my higher power God. I don't really care what they call their higher power. It just kind of gets a, a good understanding going between us, but they have to make a commitment to a certain number of meetings per week. And of course, I clarify anything that's not an essay meeting is not a meeting I care about. And I suggest they kind of stay away from other meetings because essay needs to be the, the focus as far as I'm concerned. And um, so that's what, uh, you know, I, I give them as, as guidelines. And then phone calls, a, a, a phone call is defined as three dials if you just get voicemail. But if you talk to somebody live, then that counts for your phone call. And then the question is, how many of those phone calls are you willing to commit to per day? So they have to call me every day, they have to make phone calls every day, and they have to go to a certain number of meetings. And it's just a certain, certain number. I don't care what meetings they go to as long as they're essay meetings, but it's commitment. And I get their commitment, and then we both sign off on it. And I found that that's the best I can do to help people with uh, step zero. Um, so that they don't end up going to the same meeting, one meeting a week, you know, and, and for and call that their essay program. It's, it's, a, it's, um, it's so rich now, especially with everything we have with Zoom. This is amazing. So. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nancy and Rich. Uh, Mendy puts in the chat, due to work, I'll share via chat. Grateful to be attending this meeting. Felt touched by the speaker, inspired by his persistence with steps and keeping his hopes up throughout the lustaholic life challenges. So thanks Mindy for your, your chat there. Uh, Akiba, you're next for a question. Hey, ain't the question. Um, Rich's old spine C only comments. Um, <laughs> um, hi, thank you. I, I did not know who's the speaker today. And it was really cool because I, I, I was wondering if there's going to be one of these meetings where I'll end up somewhere where Rich sponsored me. Rich sponsored me through, he picked me up twice. He picked me up at the Newark 08 convention 
when he said, you have to get a sponsor. This board doesn't work unless you get a sponsor. And then three days after convention, he fired me because I was a trigger for him. So if I was desperate before, I was really desperate now. Because if I come into the essay room and I'm a trigger for a dude, I'm like, you know, no place safe. I was like, what the heck is this? But on the other end, I felt a lot of hope because I was really, really desperate for somebody to teach me how do you surrender without half measures? How do you surrender, you know, vicarious pleasure that you could rationalize? And he really taught me for life. And Um, then, again, and then afterwards he picked me up after my sponsor slipped after he was a year, uh, after I was about a year sober. And then he saw, he came to my wedding. He's not my sponsor today, but I'm still married. Okay, so thank you, Rich. Thank you, Akiva, for being in my life. Uh, I truly believe that sponsees, every single one, is such a gift for me. Um, yes, when I told my sponsor who I was going to, sp- my sponsor who I was going to sponsor, he said, no, you're not going to do that. Um, and I had to fire you, which I didn't want to do, but I had to. And um then I believe I was in uh, uh, the White Plains meeting out uh, in New York because uh, I had gone up that way. And you were across the room, Akiva, and I looked at you and I had a spiritual experience. I saw you and you were a person. And I told my sponsor that. And then you told me that you were also having little challenges with your sponsor or whatever. And he said, okay, it's all right now. And that's when we were able to work together and I could come up to where you were living and studying and I could be with you and take you through the steps as best I could. And yeah, I I was even there when you were traveling the world to try to find the best person in the world for you and you found her. So when I imagine that you're in my my neighborhood and you're with me forever and, uh, and that you're staying sober and growing and helping others. Um, people sometimes ask me, where is the joy? Where is the joy in this program? You know how I felt right now. This is the joy. This is where the joy is at. When I see people who, because God has used me in some way, end up staying sober another day, and then they, their lives move forward. I mean, yeah, I used to have a really big ego and I still do, but it's not that important. I don't care who your sponsor is. You have a sponsor. You've got a heck of a program. And I was a part of it and it'll always give me joy. Thanks, Akiva, for being here. To share it, huh? So. Thanks, Akiva and Rich. Charles, you had your hand up at some point. Do you still have uh, a desire to speak? Oh, yes, I do. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm on work. I just uh, go out a little bit. Um, so uh, I'm going to be quick, but I just wanted to say a uh, big thank you uh, to Rich uh, for sharing. Uh, my name is Charles. Uh, I live in Low Rock, I think, so I'm a sexaholic or lustaholic. Uh, my question to Rich is how do you, um, oh, you mentioned uh, about, you know, um, I'm losing your marriage, and now you realize that you're in a pot, and everyone's in a pot. I, I want you to please, you know, just shed more light on it because, uh, you know, just like you, I, I lost uh, 
I lost my fiance, you know, due to this disease. Um, she saw my laptop and saw all the porn, the sexting, all the cheating, and and then she left. And I was completely broken. It was uh, was four years of a relationship. Um, I um, I lost I lost the opportunity of building a family and so on and so And I was uh, okay. Um, you know, I went into a really deep depression. And even up to now, it's been going on six months. I haven't really healed. So I just wanted to just, you know, just shed more light about how to deal with this disease and creating our own path and setting boundaries and growing and um, understanding that though we are sick, but yeah, on a path to recovery. Thank you. Um, thank you for that question, Charles. Um, it's... Um, it, it it's it's uh, certainly takes work to uh, stay sober when I get filled with resentment because of what somebody else is going to say or think or do, uh, or fear fear of loss, fear that somebody's going to say something. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that, but I found that by working the steps. If I don't feel right, then I have to share it. And I have to talk to my sponsor and talk to my friends in, in the program and go to meetings. And I can only change me. Uh, the only thing I have any control over at all is my attitude. This is an attitude change program. And it is possible. Um, I will tell you that I found it necessary to work other 12-step programs. That's the way I do it. Uh, nothing else for, for sex except SA, because uh, it's the lust. It's not the sex. But when it comes to uh, my codependence, we had a marriage like this. You know, you know I, 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 um, I was involved with my place of worship. And I enjoyed it from the time I was a kid. Um, but my wife wasn't that much into it. Um, and even, you know, the social stuff and the service stuff and those stuff. I was involved, the board, whatever. But she didn't get involved in it. And after our daughter at age 13, uh, we're Jewish, so we had a bat mitzvah. She said that she didn't want to be affiliated anymore. And she also has MS. And so I know that you know, driving and leaving and going was more difficult for her. And I agreed. Boy, I'm such a nice guy. But I had no ability to take care of myself. I went through some very, very rough years of not being involved with some religion things that I was taught to be involved with. And I found now that, yeah, I've lost the relationship in the marriage. And I'm not saying that that's the way everybody's going to be because every, uh, you know, person in my life, certainly every spouse, is another person. And each one's different. Sometimes they stay, sometimes they don't. But I'll tell you, my sponsor was right when he said to me, you know what, Rich? Marriages are like your sobriety. You only have them one day at a time. Now, you ever heard the story? You know, somebody thinks they're doing the absolute best in, as they can in their, in their relationship and in their marriage. 
And for one, one reason or another, because they're so sick and they've been so devastated by this disease, the spouse just turns to the sexaholic and says, I can't anymore. I'm sorry. And then it's over. So I don't have control over what anybody else is going to say, think, or do. And I know that, and I, I, I do use some outside literature for this, but it helps me to know that I have to detach with love. I have to let that person go on their own spiritual path. And as far as boundaries are concerned, I'll tell you the truth. I hate her boundaries. I despise her boundaries, her GD boundaries. They're hurting my daughter. They're hurting our grandkids. But this is where I say it. And I'll call my sponsor with it. I'll go to a meeting with it. I'll keep it in the rooms. And you know what? I lied to both my daughter and my wife. My daughter, for all 23 years that we were together, I mean, she's older than that now, but all those years I lied. And my wife, I also lied to. So how can a person that I lied to every single day of my life, I get upset. how can I be upset if she says she just can't anymore? And very possibly, you know, I might trigger her so badly that it's hurtful. Now, I do believe that there are ways that if she had the willingness, we could work this out. But I can't change her willingness. So my suggestion is change your own willingness. Work your steps. Take care of your side of the street. Work the steps. Work the program. You continue to stay sober and work the steps. That's the solution. And then whatever's supposed to be in your, in your life will definitely be in your life. And whatever's not in your life is definitely not supposed to be in your life at that time. That's the way I see it. And good luck, though. That's what we're here for each other for. So take care of that, those feelings. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, thanks, Charles. And we, we got a note, and I got a personal message in the chat about the birds in the background, Charles. Maybe that's your higher power looking over your shoulder there. So they were beautiful. And uh, that message was from Hossam, who's next in line. And by the way, if you have fewer than 30 days of sobriety, go ahead and raise your virtual hand if you'd like to ask a question or share. Hossam? Hossam, are you there? Hello? Well, yes, go ahead, Hossam. You're yeah, on. Uh, my name is Hossam. I'm a sexualist. Uh, I wanted to share about two things. But before I started to share, uh, I have to thank uh, the mister that was a speaker. I'm sorry, I'm Egyptian, so your names are a little bit difficult for me to say. Uh, but I'm thanking him. I'm thanking each and every single one of you because he's sending me a message through only attending the meeting. Uh, but what I wanted to say that uh, uh, from two days, I get to know, I, I couldn't hold myself from uh, going to a girl who was in the subway, uh, trying to know her and uh, getting to know her number. And uh, uh, my sponsor told me that I have to mention this in each and every single uh, meeting I am attending uh, this week for seven days. And... Uh, 
I talked to her uh, today in the morning, but she did not respond. She was responding uh, since uh, since a while. Uh, I have uh, I have the now I, I have the willing or I have the, the strength to uh, to to delay this number. It's okay. I responded uh, a friend that I was having sex with. I also today have the strength to to delay this number or to block him. Uh, but uh, but I don't have the strength today. This to I don't have the strength today to 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 deal with my wife because I have a problem with my wife. I'm living with my sister now, and I'm going like every two days. Time. That's that's time. Do you have a do you have I'm a question sorry. for Rich? Feel free. No, to stay I don't. I, okay. I don't have question. Uh, can, can I continue? Well, why don't you stay after the meeting? All right. We can, we can chat informally after the meeting. And we'll All have right. You. Thank you. Thank you. All Thank right. You. I'm sorry. Bye. No problem. No problem. Okay. Uh, Lee, you're up. Rich, this is a great share. I really, really liked it. And I find, for me, it was inspirational. And there were a lot of things going on all around. And I really, uh, 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 a lot of stuff going through. But one of the most inspirational parts is there was something deep down uh, in yourself, soul, or value system, or whatever, that kept you coming back. What? How do you see the keep coming back gene that you had and and, and why uh, that was there? Because that's very valuable to many of us. Great question, Lee. Great question. Um, I think that, to be honest, I didn't have anything else to go to. Um, when I lost everything on March 4th of 06, um, uh, I needed to rebuild my life in a way I decided after that Saturday night and the thinking that I couldn't put my life together again, I started to get into a 12-step rooms and I got a sponsor. I followed directions, followed directions, followed directions, and I just could not think. And I followed my first sponsor's directions explicitly. Um, and so I would just say the, the, the willingness to come back is just that I didn't couldn't think. I, everything between my ears had shattered. I, I couldn't imagine I could put the two lives together. And quite honestly, I didn't have someone at home that I could speak with because she didn't want to talk, neither one of them. And so the only place that I could find uh, the people that I need needed were at meetings. So I would leave early in the morning. It was kind of weird for her to see me come downstairs. We had a, a, a new house we had just bought together. We had a sunroom. So I come downstairs and what a sight it must have been. You know, here, here's a guy who puts on a, uh, a, a, a yarmulke 
skull cap for uh, Jewish prayer kind of stuff. And then kneels down at this settee with some books on it and reads books and starts saying prayers in a sunroom we had. It felt right to me, but boy, I must have looked a sight to her like, what the heck is this guy doing? Who is he? Um, but it worked for me. And um, I had to do things differently. And I just had to go where I could, which was to work. I worked for a year. I didn't tell anybody at work I was having problems. Eventually, I had an anger issue and I got fired. That took a year. Um, but, you know, I tried to play it the right way, corporate-wise. You know, you don't tell anybody except my, my, my boss knew. Maybe. And then I just, I lost it. Um, but um, I don't know. I did the best I could and I got into the steps. And um, the, uh, the program has filled my life. And then I started getting these ideas because, I mean, I do have a, a, a criminal background. So for me, uh, I had a business in 1998 and resurrecting that was the right thing to do. Of course, 2008 was probably the wrong year to do it, but I was the right thing to do, you know. So there were some things that were in my favor and some things not in my favor. And um, but SA was here. And I would have to say, thank God it was because I had no place else to go. Um, and so that's, that's my story. So I don't know if that helps other people, but that's about as honest as I can be. Thank God I was able to get in and I hung with the right crowds. I didn't, didn't end up hanging around with people who, um, could have taught me other things or other ways of looking at others and tr treating other people and all. I, I, I joined a synagogue. Uh, it was a big part of my second step as I went around to different synagogues and I went to their services and I talked to their rabbis. And I also, uh, you know, started studying the Bible, which I'd never done before uh, and um, got into some new habits that brought me in any way I could imagine closer to my higher power. And with that relationship growing and steps one, two, and three, I kept coming back. And I, I had finally the motivation that I really needed to have in order to come back and keep coming back. That's about what I can remember. Thanks, Thanks Rich. That's great. Uh, having no other place to go was something that hit me right in the middle. And that's, that's why I think I kept coming back. We held on for every single meet. So that, that's the same thing for me. Thank you. Thanks, Lee and Rich. Uh, we have time for, oh, there was one comment sent to me in the chat that said, thank you, Rich. This is from Tensha. Thank you, Rich. I truly needed to hear what you just said. And I can't, I don't know which it's a comment it's associated with, but somebody's, you said something that was uh, valuable for someone, for sure, for yeah. Tensha. Um, I'm glad I showed up. Thank you. Yeah. Um, is uh, there anyone else who would like to share? We have time for maybe, yeah, one more. Hi. River's got her hand up. Oh, go ahead, River. Hi. Thank you, Nancy. Thanks for sharing. Um, yeah, I'll be brave. I was just really touched by uh, your comment about Akiva being human. <laughs> Akiva being human, um, I um, 
also suffer from a lot of um, uh, combining diseases of uh, codependency and uh, lustaholism and have found myself um, acting in ways that look like helping or wanting to be of service to others when there's a lust thread that has been uh, deceptive. I'm so grateful that I have also gotten involved in other programs to help identify that. And um, it just, it's so painful to see it, you know, to see the insincerity in what I thought was my heart um, (laughs) and to have a lot of distrust for myself. So that's my question. How do you go about building trust in your own ability to navigate the world without hurting people? (laughs) Great question, River. Um, and what's coming to my mind is sponsorship. Um, my best thinking is what got me here. My best thinking is what is going to take me out. And I, I call my sponsor every week and we talk. Um, and I've been through a couple different sponsors. Uh, and and, and um, I just will always have a sponsor in my life because um, yeah, uh, the, this, this idea that, uh, Akiva became a person though, I, I, I think that was the, 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 the lust recovery, um, and not lusting, you know, not, uh, you know, uh, for a little of that progressive victory, because, um, I will tell you that a real turning point for me was when I could look at someone as a person. Um, my sponsor said things like, you know, does the person have a name that might help me to make them a person? Because my, my default setting is to see a lust object. That's the way God made me. You know, I, I'm going to be lusting for about two weeks after they put me in the box. So I'm always going to be powerless over lust. It doesn't get fixed and all that sort of stuff. But I just work it, uh, work the program, the tools and uh, the steps and, um, and um, together, yeah. I mean, so great, great question, though. But that's a that's a that's a cool thing when people can actually become people more quickly. Um, and they do. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.